word. We thank you for your love, your kindness, your peace towards us. We pray that our hearts would be tender, uh, pliable, receptive to what we're about to hear, and that it would transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So uh, we are wrapping up the book of Ephesians uh, and the last chapter in Ephesians. So the first part of Ephesians, the first three chapters, are, are, are a description of your identity, who you are in Christ. And Paul is writing this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Christians all around the region, and he's saying, here's who you are. You're called of God. You're adopted. You're important. You're loved. You're desired. You are called. You know, and he's, and he's basically saying, this is who you are. If you give your heart to Christ and you become a follower of Christ, this is who you are. This is your identity. Then in the next couple of chapters, he says, since this is who you are, this is what you do. And he starts talking about the actions that naturally arise out of our identity. Uh, and then in this last chapter, he's basically saying, here's how to do it. I want to get you equipped. I want to get you prepared because walking it out, walking out your true identity in Christ means that you will meet some, some struggles. It means that you will meet some conflict uh, because when you're not trying to live right, it's extremely easy to do so. I have never, I don't know about you, but I've never had a problem doing the wrong thing. It's very, very easy to do. Uh, so if you're doing the wrong thing, you're not going to find a, a struggle or an obstacle to doing that. But if you're trying to live, you know, follow Christ and live the right way, you will meet struggles. You will meet obstacles. Um, and so today we're talking about being dressed for battle. And we're talking through, uh, if you can put that slide up, Ryan, and that we're talking through this sixth chapter um, of Ephesians where he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. And um, I was thinking this week about... When I was a young guy, I was on uh, the wrestling team at my school. I started doing Greco-Roman style wrestling when I was 11 years old. I was terrible at baseball, uh, terrible at basketball, uh, terrible at swimming, swam like a rock. Uh, but when I, found, when I found the sport of wrestling, it just connected with me. Like, I just absolutely loved it. And uh, so I started wrestling at the age of 11, and wrestled on up, wrestled through junior high, then went to Pattonville High School and, and got on the wrestling team in ninth grade. And in ninth grade, apparently there wasn't a strong wrestler in my weight class on the varsity level. So they moved me up to varsity on ni in, in ninth grade, okay? That doesn't mean I was good. It just means there was a, there was a gap, all right? There weren't a lot of 18-year-olds that weighed 126 pounds, I think was the problem. Um, so... So I started wrestling at the varsity level at ninth grade. And I got pinned almost every match. I, I, I may have won a match or two in ninth grade, but I think I lost almost every match. In my sophomore year, I started to win a couple matches here and there on varsity. My junior year, I actually started to, to do all right. You know, I was getting, getting into it, and, and I started winning some matches. Uh, and then by my senior year, you know, after having gotten beat up by everybody in the region, everybody else had graduated, it was like, I, I think I can win now. And I ended up, as my senior year at Pattonville High School, this was, what, five years ago, Don? What was this? Um, sorry to recount old, uh, old athletic tales. But anyway, by my senior year, um, I was seated first in the state in my weight group, which means that according to the rankings, I was 
most likely to come out first in my weight group in the state. Um, and so I was wrestling, you know, all these different guys from all these different high schools and moving towards the state tournament. And the state tournament is where everybody comes. And it's this huge bracket. And whoever's seated first gets to wrestle the guy who's seated last or who's not seated at all. And you kind of move on down the bracket until the top two guys wrestle. And I was looking forward to this because I thought, you know, I've been doing this since I was 11. I'm not going to do it in college. This is it. This is the culmination of my wrestling career. Um, but I was wrestling in a tournament at Lafayette High School and got, got kind of twisted around and something snapped in my knee and I was badly injured. My knee swelled up like a cantaloupe and the doctor, you know, they pulled me and the doctor said, you're out. He said, no, you're not just out for this tournament. You're out for the season. You're not going to get to wrestle at state. Uh, so I went from being seated first where I'm like really I had a decent shot of winning state to not wrestling at all, sitting in the sidelines, sitting in the bleachers. And I will tell you that I was a little bit torn because sitting in the bleachers is really not all that bad, right? You get to eat whatever you want. If, you, if you've ever known a, a wrestler, a high school wrestler, they've got to make weight, which means you've got to cut weight. But when you're not wrestling, you get to eat whatever you want. You can have hamburgers and chocolate and fries and malted milk. And I had them all. The other good thing is there's no pressure. Nobody's expecting anything of you, right? You're injured. You can't do anything. No pressure on you whatsoever. You can stay up late. You don't have to get any rest. You can hang out with your friends. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to train. I mean, it's just like, in one respect, it's fantastic, right? But in the other respect, when you're sitting there in those bleachers and the lights are on and you're looking down at the map, at the field of battle, if you will, and you're seeing guys competing that you've already beaten, and you're seeing them rise to the ranks, there's a part of you that says, I want to be in the fray. I want to get in the battle. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to get engaged in the battle, in the fight. I want to be involved in what's going on. And in this passage that we're, that we're reading today, Paul is telling us that we're in a fight. And he's saying, I want you to get equipped and get armed and get prepared and go into this battle. Don't sit on the sidelines. Because on the sidelines, the sidelines, if you, if you follow this allegory, the sidelines are, you're not worried about anything. You don't care. You're told, you don't care. You're not engaged. You're not involved. You're apathetic. You're eating whatever you want spiritually. You're doing whatever you want spiritually. And you're not engaged in this battle. And Paul's saying, get involved. Jump into the fray. There's a, a great um, missionary named George Verwer, and I might be mispronouncing his name, but he says, I love this quote, he says, I believe the reason many Christians are so dull and lifeless in their faith is because they are not in the battle. They're not using their weapons. They're not advancing against the enemy. So I'm going to talk just a few minutes today about encouraging you to get engaged in this battle, in this spiritual battle that you've been invited to the moment you become a Christian. And I'm going to talk to you just a few moments about becoming equipped to do that and, and heading into the battle. So let's read through the passage. We read this last week, but I'm going to reread it today. Um, and it says this, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says, And for me, pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may be able to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I love how he just, and I, mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week, at the end of this brilliant book in the Bible, he just, in passing reference, says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm in chains. Paul wrote about putting on the armor of God while he was shackled, literally, physically shackled, in a Roman prison for preaching the gospel of truth, for preaching the gospel of Jesus. So what he's saying is, you can, have the, you can have the armor of God while you're shackled to a Roman prison wall. You can have the armor of God in any circumstance that you find yourself in. You can have the armor of God when you find yourself totally embattled at work, totally embattled in your relationship, totally embattled at school. Wherever you are, you can put on this armor of God in advance. I'm going to draw out three quick sort of themes that I see in this passage and I'll only uh, talk about the first one very quickly because we did it last week. But the first one is to stay alert because the battle you fight is comprised of a thousand daily skirmishes. This spiritual battle in which you and I are engaged, it's not like there will be some sudden huge moment where you go, wow, I'm in a battle, right? You're engaged in the battle right now. Every thought that you think, every word that you say, every, every interaction that you have, is part of the skirmishes that you're going to face every day. Are you going to treat someone with love and generosity and kindness and forgiveness? Or are you not, right? Are you going to give in to a particular temptation that may arise, you know, at 9 o'clock in the morning? Or are you going to avoid that, right? Everything you do as a Christian, you're engaged in a battle. And, and I mentioned last week about a minister who had sort of slowly allowed the armor to erode and this guy who had been a great man of god allowed himself to become compromised because he didn't realize that he was engaged in daily skirmishes he was losing these little miniature battles and suddenly he realized that he was completely compromised um, so first peter 5 8 says be of sober spirit be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls about you can put that scripture prowls about like a roaring lion Seeking someone to devour. So point number one is just be alert, be aware of the fact that you are engaged in a battle. Just be aware of that, okay? If you're not aware of that, it may mean that you are already so severely compromised that you can't even recognize where you're at. You may be just sitting on the sidelines eating popcorn and licorice and saying, what battle, <laughs> right? Right? It may mean that you've, you've already been... It doesn't mean... And, and, and let me be clear about this. When Christ brings you into him, right? It's not as if you can be clutched out of that. It's not, it's not as if you can be pulled out of that. But your effectiveness can be totally compromised. Right? 
because you're, you're not in the battle. You're not engaged in the fight. So that's what I just want to say. Part one, be alert. Stay alert. Number two, stay smart. The battle you avoid is the one you are sure to win. Now let me explain this because there are, there are two ways that we're looking at this battle. One is let's get engaged in the, in the big battle, right? Let's get engaged in overcoming uh, you know, poverty and racism and war and you know, evil in our community and our society. Let's get engaged in that battle. But there are other battles, these other personal skirmishes that you may not have to fight all the time. Because sometimes we put ourselves in circumstances where we're going to face a temptation that we wouldn't be facing if we didn't put ourselves in that circumstance. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Because once you're there, once you're facing this temptation, you're going to have to be very strong to avoid it. But if you don't put yourself in the circumstance in which you're likely to be tempted, then guess what? You don't actually have to face the temptation. So what I'm saying here is some of these battles you can win if you'll just avoid getting into them. Does that make sense? Um, there's a great, there was this great experiment. It was called this, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. And it was done back in the 60s and 70s at Stanford University. I referenced this once a long time ago. But, and what it was was this. What they wanted to see was whether little children could delay their desire, could delay their gratification uh, for a period of time. And so they did this test. And this is all documented. You can look it up. It's called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. What they did is they would take these little toddlers, three, four, five-year-olds, and they would put them down at a table, and the instructor would put a marshmallow in front of them. And the instructor would say, you can eat this marshmallow, but I'm going to step out of the room, and when I come back, if you don't eat this marshmallow, then I'm going to give you two marshmallows. And they videotaped these things, by the way. You can actually download them, see them on YouTube. Uh, they said, if, if, you, if you don't eat this marshmallow, um, then I'm going to give you two marshmallows. So the kids were like, now wait a second. You're saying I can eat the marshmallow, but you're going to leave. And if I don't eat the marshmallow, I'm going to have two marshmallows. That's right. Okay. So that's what they would do. They put the marshmallow down, and then they <laughs> turn the camera on. And what was amazing was the techniques that these children used to not eat the marshmallow, right? Some of them used no technique at all. Some of them went like this. <laughs> gone. Marshmallow's gone. But the ones that were successful in not eating the marshmallow, there were some other factors involved, but one of the major factors is that the kids that were successful used what they called cool distraction techniques. In other words... They didn't focus on the marshmallow, right? Some of them literally covered their eyes. Some of them crawled under the desk. Some of them would sing like, no, I don't see a marshmallow. That, you know. and, and, and some of them would just avert their, their gaze. And what they were doing was saying, I don't want to get too close to this marshmallow because if I do, I'm going to eat it, right? But if I don't, then I'm going to be rewarded, Okay. In fact, there were some where the kids would go and pick it up. they like pet the marshmallow. It was like, I'm not eating it. I'm just petting it. And then they would get to where they would like just touch their tongue on it and just lick the marshmallow. And before you know it, they'd be like, oh, woo. Um, so anyway, what does, that, what does that have to do with this? What I'm saying is there are, there are temptations. There are battles. There are, there are 
issues in your life and you know what they are. And some of the best ways to avoid falling into the trap of those issues, those problems, those sins, is just to circumstantially avoid them completely, right? Last week I talked about this guy, Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War. And he wrote the brilliant 500 B.C. military strategist, you know, in his, in his, in his book is, is still well read. But one of the quotes in his book, he says, The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. So don't get yourself involved, engaged in these battles that you're not likely to win. Just avoid them altogether. Does that, are you tracking with that? Um, James 1, 14 and 15 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. What's fascinating about that is that it says we're each lured and enticed by our own desire. We each have different ones, right? Your issues are maybe not my issues. My issues are maybe not your issues. Or maybe we share certain issues, right? But there's stuff, and you know what yours are, I know what mine are, right? We're each lured by our own desires, so I'm going to give you three steps about, about avoiding this. Number one is to understand. Understand your own particular weakness. Understand when it says, by his own desire, understand what your particular one is. What is what's the thing that you struggle with? You know what it is, right? What is it? Know that. Understand that. Number two is avoid. Avoid those circumstances where you're likely to encounter temptation for your particular weakness. That means plan in advance, right? I, I met with a, um, a really good friend of mine uh, this week who is, who is a recovering alcoholic. He struggled for many years. He, he wasn't able to have a drink without having tin. Uh, that was just his, his thing. And, and um, he's been clean and sober for several, several years now. But he told me this interesting story. He said that once he finally made a commitment to sobriety for his life, uh, for a while, he didn't want to change the circumstances that he had enjoyed prior to getting sober. Um, and this was his personal story, so it may not relate to everyone, okay? But, but what he said is, for a while, after he started getting sober, he would still go and hang out with the exact same friends and go to the same bars and what he would do is he would order, you know, club soda or he would order non-alcoholic beer. And, and, and he was okay doing that for a while. But at a certain point, the, you know, the circumstances started to nudge him back towards the direction that he didn't want to go. And so he finally said, you know what, I'm going to start severing some, cir- some circumstances. I'm going to start walking away from some places where I'm sort of likely to fall right and uh and i just found it just to be really compelling because he said you know really for him a a lot of it had to do with avoiding it right not not petting the marshmallow he was avoiding the situation uh and then number three is account so understand avoid and account account means to put yourself in deep relationships with other people to whom you are spiritually accountable and what this may mean, and I talk about this a lot, but I mean it, you guys, you know, 
I mean it because it's hugely valuable and hugely important. If you're going to walk out in the battle of being a Christian, you can't do it alone. You need other people surrounding you, around you, to help encourage you and strengthen you when you falter. Because you will fail, you will fumble, you will stumble. All right? But you need people around you to say, hey, I got you. Let's get back up. Let's just straighten out that breastplate of righteousness. Let's get that shield of faith. Let me fix your helmet of salvation, right? Let's get your, your, your feet shod with the gospel. You know, let's, let's, help, let's get it back on track, right? And then we arm in arm, we head back out into the battlefield, all right? So account. Get with people. And, and one thing that we do, uh, my guys, you know, we have, I have guys to whom I am accountable. And, and, and they're accountable to me. And the way we do it is they have a list of questions that they're going to ask me, right? And I have a list, list of questions that I'm going to ask them. And the last question on that list is, did you lie when you answered any of the other questions? This is your opportunity. Come clean, man. And I tell you what, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to have the darker recesses of your heart exposed to other men or women, you know, men if you're a man and women if you're a woman, to other people who are going to hold you accountable and say, let's, let's, let's keep walking down this straight and narrow. Let's stay in the fight. Let's stay in the good fight of faith. It's hugely valuable, okay? Um, so that's number three, account. Uh, um, C.S. Lewis uh, says, and, I, and I, I love this quote, because what he's getting at here is that when you fight this battle, what you derive from it is so much greater than what you thought you wanted, right? That second marshmallow is so much better than the first. I mean, that doesn't even do it justice. But let me read you this quote. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He says that the, the sins that we engage in, those little things that we think are so great, we're just engaged in making mud pies and God has something amazing and beautiful for us. And I touched on this last week, but I, I want to reiterate it again. And I'll, and I'll say it every week, but the life that God has for you when you follow Him, when you commit your heart, soul, and mind to Him is so much better than the life that you could possibly carve out for yourself by avoiding him by not following him there is a and you know and until you experience it you may not even be able to recognize that it's there but if you'll trust me for two minutes and and give your life to god and say god i'm going to follow you christ i want to follow you i want you to be in me i want to be in you i want to i want to I want to be in Christ. I want to follow you, Jesus. The life that he has for you, and I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual power. I'm talking about depth of understanding. I'm talking about deep relationships. I'm talking about a deep and abiding sense of meaning and importance in your life and purpose and passion. I'm talking about a real transformation that can happen to you when you give your life to him. Amen? You believe me? <laughs> um, Okay, that's number two. Number three, stay strong. You already possess everything you need to prevail. Remember when Paul is writing this, he's saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? And he's saying all this, right? He's saying this to Christians. He's writing this letter to Christians. People that already have the helmet of salvation. People that already have the breastplate of righteousness. People that already have the shield. of They've already got all this, right? He's saying, take it up. He's saying, use it. Because you've already got everything you need to succeed in this battle. In this spiritual battle. I was reading a book a while back. Um, the author is uh, Robert D. Lupton. It was a book called Toxic Charities. And it was this book that was discussing... Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a book about missions and how, how we do missions and how sometimes the way we do missions can be harmful to the people to whom we are missioning, okay? Um, and so he's talking about doing missions a different way. But there was this great example. He talked about when he was uh, at, a, at a church that partnered with this Honduran village. And in this village, this village needed wells, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have running water in this village. And so the church, this church in America, got these engineers together and went over to this Honduran village. And when they came up to the village, they would see the women walking for miles with big jugs of water down from the river, having to haul these very heavy jugs of water back up to the village so that people had water. And the water wasn't that clean and it wasn't filtered and it was, you know, it was a problem. So this church good-heartedly said, Let's, let's send some engineers down there and let's build some wells. And that's what they did. They went down and they built some wells in this Honduran village, right? And they finally turned the tap and the water came running out and everyone rejoiced. And they said, fantastic. We now have fresh, clean water. We don't have to haul it up from the river, right? Everyone hugged. It was fantastic. Then the engineers left. They came back to the United States. A year passed. That second year, they said, okay, we're going to go send our our engineers, and we're going to send our missions people down there and just check in on the folks that we've been, you know, partnering with. So they went down there, and as they pulled into the village, they looked around, and they noticed something. They noticed that the women were going down to the river and hauling the big jugs of water up from the river into the village. And they said, what's going on? So they came up to the village, and they started talking to the people, and the people said, oh, yeah, they said, after you guys left, the well broke, right? The well broke, and so now we're hauling water again. And the engineers said, okay, well... We'll fix the well. And so they fixed the well, and they turned on the tap, and the water flowed, and everyone rejoiced, right? You see where this is going. And they came back to the United States. They went back over the third year. The women were hauling water, right? And finally it hit them, right? They've got all of the equipment they need. They just haven't learned how to use it. They don't know how to repair this well when it breaks down, right? And so then this church, fortunately, began to pour into training and teaching the men and women of the village how to repair the well so that they could be self-sufficient, self-sustaining, right? What Paul is saying to us here is sometimes as Christians, we have everything that we need, but we're just not taking it up and using it. We're not picking up what we've got. We're trying to be out there and fight these skirmishes and fight these battles on our own, on our own will, how many of you have tried to, you don't have to raise your hand, tried to overcome something on sheer willpower? <laughs> a couple of you, you don't have to. Um, and, and you know what? Every, there's a couple, there are a couple of physical fitness trainers in this gym. I mean, in this, <laughs> in this spiritual gym. Uh, uh, but uh, in, the, in this church. And they will tell you, 
that they hire extra trainers in January because the gym is packed. But by mid-late February, the gym is not packed. But the gym is still making money because people don't want to, you know, they don't want to admit that they're not going, so they stay signed up. Because what we, what we learn about ourselves is that willpower is not enough. If we're just going to, on our own, try to overcome these issues that we face, it's not going to be enough. What we need to do, what we've got to do, is let God come into our hearts and transform us and work within the community of believers to strengthen one another and edify one another and love one another and support one another and, and bring us to what God wants us to be. We cannot do it on our own. Um, I want to read you this, this uh, scripture real quick. 2 Timothy 4.7. Paul writing to Timothy says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What Paul is saying is, and what I want to say to each and every one of you as we wrap up this this book, is let's engage in this battle together. And it's not a physical battle. He says at the very beginning, it's not against flesh and blood. We're talking allegory here, right? We're talking a spiritual battle. We're talking about overcoming sin and temptation in our own personal lives and then overcoming social evil and transforming the world as the body of Christ. That's what he is calling us to do. Um, Frederick Temple, who was an old English pastor, said, While there is left in you a trace of ill temper or of vanity, of pride or of selfishness, while there is left in you a single sin or germ of sin, you must not rest from the battle. He said, God does not require from you to be sinless when you come before him, but he does require you to be unceasing in your perseverance. He does not require that you shall never have fallen, but he does require unwearied efforts. He does not require you to win, but he does require you to fight. He's calling all of us to engage in this battle, to become more like him, to avoid the traps that, 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 that put us in the hole, that make us ineffective, that render us worthless, that you know, not worthless, but render us useless in this battle that we fight. And he's calling all of us to put on the armor of God and to step out in faith and do what he's called us to do. Don't you want to have a life full of meaning and purpose and strength and power? I do. I desperately want that for myself, and I desperately want that for every person in this church. And that's what he wants for you too. He does want that for you. He doesn't want that dull and lifeless, sitting on the sidelines kind of life. He wants you engaged and empowered and out there changing the world, transforming the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to do that, and he's equipping us to do that. So I just want to encourage you, let's do that, right? As a church, if we want to truly transform our community, there's going to be a fight. We're going to have to fight for it. If you want to a loving, deep, powerful, intimate relationship, you're going to have to fight for that. If you want a, a passionate, meaningful cause that you can be engaged in, you're going to have to fight for that. Anything worth having is worth fighting for. And we're going to have to fight for it. And God says, I'm going to equip you. Take it up. Take up the shield of faith and step out into the battle. Can we do that?
Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this powerful scripture. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for encouraging us, Lord, for inspiring us, God, to do what you've called us to do. Um, Lord, we don't want to sit on the sidelines. We don't want to be, uh, you know, not, not doing what you've called us to do. We want a life of passion. We want a life of power. We want a life of strength. We want to go out into the fray and we want to do something of value with our lives. You've called us to something great and we cannot settle for mediocrity. We want to follow you. We want to do great things, God. We ask you, Lord, to give us strength today. For those of us who are struggling with our past, help us, God, to just let that go. Help us to give it to you. Help us to let you resolve it for us so that we can walk in power and in strength. For those of us who are struggling in some present issue, God, with a relationship or school or work or family or a child, help us, Lord God, to walk through that, God, to lean on you and to lean on other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us get through it, God. And God, for some of us, we're concerned about the future. What do you want for us? Where are you going to put us? Where do you want us to go? And God, just give us the strength and the wisdom to rely on you and to trust that you've got us in the palm of your hand. Father, wherever we are today, give us strength. We love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And that's going to close us out for Ephesians. Um, but I want to encourage you next week, we start a new series. Um, and, and come and, and, and be a part of that. Um, at the end here, we worship in a few different ways. And I want to invite you to, to join us in worship, okay? One of the ways that we worship is in prayer. And uh, if you have something going on in your heart and in your life that you want prayer for, I want to encourage you to come up when the prayer workers come up and just walk up to them and say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with A, B, or C. Or I'm just struggling. Or I just need prayer. Whatever you want to say to them. You can tell them as much or as little as you want. These are people that are passionate about prayer. They believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe God can transform people's lives. He's done it to a bunch of us, and he can do it for you. So if you want to give your life to him for the first time, come up and do that. You know, let us know. Put that down on a connection card and put it in the, in the basket. But that's one way we worship is through prayer. Another way we worship, and this is not for the visitors. This is for those people who call you, City Family Church, their home. We also worship by giving, supporting the work of the ministry. And let me just say this as a sideline. Um, I want to thank this church. Some of you already know this. um, Because we are growing. uh, Because for two years, uh, we have been growing together and strengthening one another and building up ourselves as a a church and as the body of Christ. Um, I am able, as of November 13th, to be able to come on and be the full-time pastor. That means I'm going to have to start preaching really good, right? I mean, it's like, dude, you better start preaching good. Um, and and I, I want to thank, thank you for that. I want to thank our trustees.
for working to put that all together. And, and I just really thank you because um, it's, it, it means... <sighs> it really means everything for me to be able to just commit my life and commit my heart and commit everything to, to being your pastor. And, and I'm really, <laughs> really excited about it. So, amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> that was, I wasn't planning to do that. <clears throat> but anyway, moving on in a very calm tone of voice, we move on. Uh, so anyway, uh, another way that we worship here <laughs> is we break bread. Uh, you know, when Jesus, when he was with his disciples, before he was crucified, he sat down, he broke bread, and he said, take, eat, this is my body that's broken for you. And he poured wine and he and he and he said drink this is the blood of my covenant that's poured out for you and what he's saying is i'm going to sacrifice everything for you i'm going to give you everything i'm giving you everything my whole life and so every sunday we come and we eat the bread and we drink the cup and we say thank you it's how we remember what all of this is about all of this is the sacrifice that he made for us he's calling us to persevere he's calling us to fight he's calling us to battle right but that's all after what he did for us we don't do that in order to get in good relation with him. We do that as a result of the sacrifice that he made for us. And so we come and we take the bread and we drink the cup. And so I invite you to come and do that um, in just a minute as we worship. Um, and I, I'm so, uh, uh, you guys have got me like so flabbergasted now. Do we worship in any other ways or is that it? That's it. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so I would invite the musicians to come. I'd invite the prayer workers to come. And I would invite all of you to worship in one or all of these ways. Amen. <laughs> 